You're listening to the Sonic Guild Colorado podcast. I'm your host, Alan Fisher, musician, producer, and creator. This episode features Lucas Wolf, an artist I first saw play at the Boulder International Film Festival and Sonic Guild Singer-Songwriter Showcase. I met up with Lucas on a bright spring day in Boulder, just down the canyon from his cabin. Shout out to Christina for creating such a welcoming, cozy space for us to talk. We discussed signs and how they lead us to and away from places we need to be, the difficulties of self-promotion as an independent artist, the evolution of the songwriting mindset, and so much more. This is the Sonic Guild Colorado Podcast with Lucas Ward. You are tuning in to the Sonic Guild Colorado podcast. I am here today with Lucas Wolf. Welcome, welcome. Good morning. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. How is life in your neck of the woods? What's been going on? What you been working on? Oh, life's pretty hectic and wild right now. You know, just got to we're create a new record and prepping for a live record. And then uh, lots going on with the kids and uh, life in general. So, but I can't complain. You know, there's... But there's never a dull moment right now, that's for sure. That's great. Do you find that you find more inspiration for songwriting when things are kind of chaotic like that or when you have like downtime? I think that when I have chaotic times and then I have the downtime to write, the chaotic times are a benefit. But getting the downtime to sit and write, otherwise I'm just kind of stringing together pieces of songs in little increments. So it's uh, but you know, life in general is the is the uh, inspiration for all the all the music. So you can't uh, I don't know what it, what's the, what's the saying? You gotta have uh, you, you know the good and the bad, and uh, the the more exciting and difficult stuff makes for better songs. I feel like so. Absolutely, you started out busking and primarily traveling around as an artist. What was that experience like for you, and how have you evolved in the way that you approach making music today? Um, the experience was amazing and scary. I uh, was dating a gal in Tempe, Arizona, and things weren't working out. And I was sitting at a bar after work. I was working at the Gordon Biersch Brewing Company. Got off work early. It was like one in the afternoon. So I was like, of course, you know, 21 years old. I was like, I'm going to go have a beer. And uh, I was listening to Atmosphere on my headphones. And then in Atmosphere, the rap artist is from uh, Minneapolis. And so then the Minnesota Twins came up on the ESPN at this bar that I was at. And I was just like, you know what? If I keep seeing Minnesota stuff, I'm just going to pack up and move to Minnesota. And so I walked out of that bar, saw a Minnesota license plate right away. Then I was house-sitting at a friend's house, so I went back and was going to the pool. And there was this couple there, and I was chatting to them, and I'm from South Dakota, so I kind of picked up on the accent. And I was like, where are you all from? And they're like, we're from Minnesota. And I was like, that's it. And so the next day, packed a backpack and my guitar, and I had a pair of sandals, and I walked out of Phoenix, Arizona, and caught a ride with a guy who was drinking beers while we were driving, a Purple Heart vet. And he drove me up to halfway towards Flagstaff, and then I caught a ride out to Minneapolis, Minnesota with a truck driver. And so I started busking, and that was kind of, it was like I... The subconscious thing was I knew that I needed to force myself into a position where playing music was how I ate if I was going to get any good. I didn't think I was very good and, you know, still don't think I'm too great. But the 
experience over that time was a lot of beautiful scenery, meeting a lot of cool people, having a lot of fun. But then eventually hitchhiking from town to town kind of became, it lost its uh, allure or it started to seem like if I don't get out of this, I'm going to get trapped. And enough people had told me, hey, you should really, you know, try to pursue this music thing. And so I did. And then I came to Boulder and uh, I've got some family here. And then I met Christina. And as I had kids and everything, it's all kind of evolved into a more um, professional ish uh you know I, I do it with a lot more intention and try to keep it somewhat organized so but it was definitely a lot of that wild time of just traveling and meeting random ple- people and having crazy experiences i think it shaped a lot of how my music is made today it definitely my mindset and philosophy on life was developed quite a bit since then but of course as i get older you know you kind of your values change and your responsibilities change but you're still able to take what you got from those wild times and apply them to the current day while maybe not being so reckless you know i don't know did i answer that right did I mean, I, did I there's actually no, answer the question? Yeah, there's no right answer. <laughs> I think that's so fascinating. And I guess for artists, I think a lot of us probably live our lives. I don't know. There, is there something to that? Like looking for signs and maybe if you follow through on those signs, they take you to places you, you wouldn't expect. Like, did, did you ever think that you would be where you are now when you walked out of Arizona? Oh, you know, I, yes and no. I, I mean, I had a, I'm not the type of person that's cut out for a nine to five. I, I need to be creating. I need to be doing something that I'm interested in, that I feel matters. And so, I'm so sorry, repeat the question. I mean, <laughs> did, do you think that this is where you would end up? Like, oh, yes. In um, Colorado, so, making music, work no, kind of no, I, in I kind stable of stable environment. No, I think I had a uh, more of an idea that I'd be in California and get picked up and all those kind of things. And uh, But then life led me this way. But I do think that there's something in looking for signs. Like I've had some moments in life where uh, the signs led me to the right place or led me out of the wrong place. And so um, I've noticed, one thing I've noticed is that if I break away and try to, you know, as a father, it's a little difficult because you feel like a lot of people think, oh, you should be doing this. I'm over here working 80 hours a week and doing this. And it's like, well, I'm working 60 to 80 hours a week and not making nearly what you're making, but I'm doing what I feel like I'm supposed to do. So, you know, I'm not sure if I ever thought that I would end up here, but it, it looks similar to what I wanted, you know, just to be able to make a decent income off of music and more importantly, make music that the people that listen to it feel like really helps them and has, you know, inspires them to change certain things about themselves or their lives. And, and so uh, it's been a lot of ra- uh, rabbit trails, but I wouldn't change where I'm at today, you know, despite the the occasional difficulties of that. What is your songwriting process? And do you start with something first? What's the process from conception to completion? Completion. I'm So I used to be big into 
freestyle hip hop when I was when I was when I was young. I was actually pretty decent. I've lost that skill. But so I will start with my guitar and I'll just be, you know, just like a day like today, pick it up and, you know, just kind of mess around and then I'll find something that I like or that that uh my my innards say, "Oh, we should do something with this." And then eventually a first line or a first line to a chorus will pop out. And then so once I have the first line down, I sit down with the guitar and it's kind of like freestyle rap, but I'll just say the first line until I like whatever comes after. So by the time that I've finished a song, I have started that song from the very beginning to get to every single line. So like when I'm writing the fourth or fifth line, for instance, I am still starting at the first line of the song and repeating it all. So by the time that I'm done with the song, I have it memorized 90% of the time. But it's very much, I like to, I've always kind of used the analogy, it's like I'm picking apples out of the ether. Like, you know, you sit down sometimes and the inspiration just fills the plate up and then sometimes nothing happens. And so I think it's very much like channeling almost. Like you're just kind of picking something out of empty space and then putting it onto paper and to music and then eventually you have a song. And, and now, as I'm uh, evolving, I suppose, I am trying to actually think more like a songwriter. And I'm realizing that there's certain things that I've neglected in the past. Simple things like bridges or the overall structure of the song. I've been very stubborn to just be like, well, this is the song and this is how it is. And that's how it goes. And now I'm more open to, you know, listening to input and uh, trying to make a complete song as opposed to something that sounds left wanting or it could have gone to a place where your ears and heart needed it to go. So I'm trying to evolve to be more of an actual complete songwriter these days. So, but it's very much a whatever happens, happens process. Yeah, that's cool. There's like a balance, right, between that kind of channeling. I think so many songwriters that I've talked to and even personally as you write songs, it's like maybe you have a line and then yeah, it just comes from nowhere and it's maybe effort of just sitting down at the table and being like, okay, I'm gonna... Half the battle. Yeah, (laughs) just see what comes up. But that's so interesting too that you're noticing that there's other things that you could tweak or to add to your songwriting to make it maybe a little more... What, what I guess, what are you shooting for? Are you shooting for more professional? Like, because, right, I guess for songwriting too, are you worried about like being in a box then too of saying like, okay, well, it's, you know, verse chorus, verse bridge chorus or, or you know, whatever system comes up? I've always felt very resistant to being put in any kind of box because I have songs that are folky. I have songs that are more poppy. I have songs that are more kind of outlaw. But I think that... I I don't want to write songs necessarily to please people. But as I've gotten older, it's more like I'm realizing that there is something to be said for following somewhat of a formula. Yeah, like the structure. Yeah, and and getting outside input from like my producer, Max Legrand. He's a happy banjo dude on YouTube. Awesome banjo player, teacher. Also a phenomenal guitar player and great guy. But listening to him or another producer or just some of my musician friends, I'm starting to realize like, okay, maybe I can keep everything that I want in the song, but also make it easier to enter the ears of people and so i never want to like write a song that's like this needs to be marketable for 24 year old females or something like that but it's also 
I don't want, I want to write something that's more complete and full, you know, it's yeah. like you, you, accessible. yeah, and you leave the song feeling like that song had everything that it needed, as opposed to some of my songs in the past that were just kind of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, doom, I'm done, and forget anybody that has a problem with it was kind of, and so like, I still have that mentality sometimes, but I want to make it more accessible, like you said. How do you approach the self-promotion aspect as an independent artist and booking shows now that you're in a community and kind of like here you, you were saying before we started that you're focusing on going to other shows. What is the mindset that you take when saying like, okay, now I, I guess because it is, you know, a business, you have to promote yourself. And I think I'm learning as I go. You know, I've, uh, I was born in 84 and so I feel like my generation is a little more resistant to all of the, not that I'm not addicted to swiping on Instagram and YouTube and all the things, but I'm starting to like realize how necessary it is to be a part of all that and to promote yourself in an intelligent way with intention and like actually take it seriously as a business. So it's uh, most of the time back in the day, I would just stay up late and send out emails and ask other musicians like what are you doing and, and now i'm in a position where people are calling me up and asking me what i should be doing or what they should be doing and i'm like well you need a website you need to have youtube videos you need to have something on spotify or itunes or whatever you know they need to be able to see what you do really and see that you've actually got this like ground level but it was just constant dedication to emailing and following up on emails and I've always, I was an athlete in high school, and so I have, I, I was always very competitive. And so part of the self-promotion, and no, none of these people know it, but I have musician friends where I kind of, they're a target, you know, in the sense, not like in a negative way, but it's like, okay, I want to have as many followers as them I want to put out as many songs as they have and I'll just kind of have these like little arbitrary goals um there's no actual rivalry but it's kind of like oh that band's doing really well now I want to get to that level and so now that's kind of what inspires me it's like that's what helps keep me going because back in the day it was like swimming in a pool or running on a track and so I've been able to kind of transfer that over to, well, this singer-songwriter just played this show, and so now I want to do everything that I can to do to play that show. So there's a little bit of a competitive nature, but I'm still very much in the process of like, okay, how do I make content efficiently and reach out to the right people? And I finally just got a manager, so, so things are shifting to where I have help, and that's a big asset. And just I think just being teachable is a big important part, like... I think a lot of us that started out doing everything by ourselves, everything was just me. I had a little help, you know, taking photos from uh, my kid's mom or whatever. And you get a little help here and there, but most of the time it's just a really long, lonely road. And you can get a little stubborn in that, uh, in the, when you're doing that. And so now I've really kind of <clears throat> opened myself up to just being, accepting other people's opinions, ideas, and help and realizing that I cannot do everything on my own. And so sometimes just listening to someone who has a little bit more knowledge on a subject is important to do. And, and actually exactly something I'm trying to teach my kid right now because he, he, he's just like me, doesn't want to be teachable. He's like, I can do it. I'm fine. I know what I'm doing. And uh, But it's just been, 
you know, a process of I maybe humility is the word to realize you can't do it all, you know. And so, but yeah, I just try to focus on Instagram, a little bit of Facebook, and now we're actually trying to like approach magazines and and things like Sonic Guild and and different outfits that do interviews and and want to know more about uh, musicians on my level. Tell me a little bit about the Kickstarter process for Kill the Devil. What was that like and what did you learn through the process? Would you do something like that again to fund future projects? I am not a fan of crowdfunding because it takes so, like to really do it, it just, my life with kids and music and and other uh, businesses, I feel very spread thin. So I, I put in effort to it. I kind of rested on my laurels a little bit. I thought that now that my fan base is way bigger than it was, you know, five years ago when I did one, that um, it was just going to be no problem. And so it was a 40-day campaign, and we had made 24% of our goal by, like, day 38. And so I... It was actually really good because I was like, we're going to fail this crowdfunding for this record. And instead of being upset, I was just kind of like, uh, we're going to just have to go to the drawing board, see what's up. And I was on a road trip down in Arizona to go see my my kid's great-grandmother, my grandma. I had resigned to the fact that the Kickstarter was going to 100% fail. So I go down, go to my grandfather's memorial, see my family and, and all that. And then I was like, well, I need to check the kickstarter just so i can see that it failed and in the like final 12 hours of the campaign someone who i think i know who it is but wants to stay anonymous ended up donating the remaining seven thousand seven hundred dollars that we needed so i was and i feel like if i hadn't resigned to it being okay even though there was no communication between this person and i i feel like maybe that wouldn't have happened you know i was like i was like okay this means I need to step up my game next time and do a better job. But yeah, so we made our goal, and now we're still in the process of recording the record. We actually just got drums done. But um, crowdfunding's not my favorite because I feel like it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're kind of just like, hey, guys, help me out, like, you know, cardboard sign. But at the same time, the album wouldn't be able to be made neither with the live record that's coming uh, had I not done that. So I'm very thankful to everyone that donated to it and very appreciative. And I'm hoping that in the future we don't need to crowdfund, but if I am in a position where it's between creating and not creating, I will do it again. I think that's a good mindset to take. Yeah. You, you gotta use what you have. Mm-hmm. Maybe now with the other support that you have too, it sounds like maybe there'll be other avenues to explore and that's always something you can go back to if you need. A cardboard sign is always there. <laughs> you can always find a Sharpie and a piece of cardboard. What's been the recording process like through the album? It's been a lot of fun. It's been very, you know, I, so my buddy Max Legrand, who I mentioned, uh, I've kind of handed over the reins to him as far as production in a lot of ways, because I feel like having someone with the production talent and, uh, you know, musical knowledge he's a banjo teacher so he does know a lot about theory and things like that and song structure so we've been going over to his studio and i laid all the scratch tracks and then uh, we started to actually build the songs from those scratch tracks and we've got them mostly built and then uh, 
So we have 15 songs that are going to be in the running, and the other day we just knocked out the drums. We had, uh, in Denver, there's a gentleman named Andreas Schmidt. Andreas, I'm giving you a shout-out. If anybody needs a studio drummer, there is no one more professional and talented than Andreas Schmidt. So reach out to Lucas Wolf Music to get his contact, and I would happily put you in contact if you need a studio drummer. But so, yeah, we're about, I would say, halfway through with the recording, and... Uh, now that the drums are done, we're just going to get bass and guitar and then background vocals and my vocals, and then we should be wrapping up mid to late summer, I think. So look for a early fall release for Kill the Devil. Very exciting. How do you meet the people that you collaborate with? How do you meet Max, Andreas? How do you find a community? Uh, well, I'm, you know, my, my community is pretty small, but you know, I, I think for those that don't have kids, it's very important to hang out at your shows and meet other band members and just, you know, network. For me, I always fear that people kind of think that I'm like uh, an arrogant prick or something because I play my show and I leave. And it's usually because the next day I have fatherly responsibilities. Um, also I'm not a drinker, so hanging out at a bar uh, for an extra hour or two isn't really my favorite. So I like to kind of meet the fans that want to say hi and uh, introduce themselves, and then I like to, to get out. But I would say that it's very important to meet everybody you can, and I need to work on that as I, as I continue because I'm all, you know, always on to the next thing. That's always been my, my style is like, oh, now that I'm done with this, I've got to go prepare for the next step, da-da-da-da-da-da. And I think sometimes just relaxing and going to the show that you thought about going to instead of like swiping on Netflix, it's like, why not drive the three miles to go see so-and-so play at so-and-so brewery? And while you're there, you'll meet them and you'll meet someone that's involved with them and maybe, uh, you know, the sound guy. Like, be nice and and uh, meet everybody you can. Is uh, I don't know. See, when you ask these questions, then I like forget the question while I'm talking, and I'm, like, <laughs> I'm sitting that's here trying to make sure this thing. That's the magic of podcasting. That's when we. Right? That's when we get the best stuff. I just. That's my secret. I just. I just shut up and listen and let people talk. I gotta be get some good gems. I, I I talk too much, and this cat. I'm like, are he. Are you dedicated to the wires? Or are you gonna go relax? You go relax. For those listening, there's a beautiful black cat here with us. He's very fascinated by our recording equipment, and he wants to help out. So this we're is Coco, the tyrant, keeping him subdued with love. Yeah, trying. Trying. <laughs> What's been your biggest triumph and your biggest struggle in music so far? Biggest triumph, uh, you know, I'd, I'd have to say it's a couple things. It's being able to work on this record, being able to make my first album still actively working as a musician after COVID, you know, that was kind of a, I think everybody kind of feel like they got kicked in the proverbial junk and uh, just had everything kind of stripped away. And, and uh, I was one of the people that didn't really create much during, I mean, I did, but I, you know, some people were like, Oh, I got all this time to create. I think a lot of us were just kind of felt like the wind was taken out of our yeah, sails. Just but surviving. Yeah, just surviving. But um, I think musically, my biggest triumph is the fact that I'm still going and haven't given up. The greatest difficulty was probably making the decision to keep going after COVID. Because to be real with you, I made a lot of sacrifices. Like I didn't go out. I said no to 
so many invites, you know, and sometimes I get down because I'm like, oh, I don't really have like that. I have a strong community, but it's very small. I have a very small circle. After staying up till 3 a.m., so many nights sending out albums, playing at all these little places that no one's paying attention, and you just you just do the grind. And then I finally got to a place where I was like, okay, I think I need to start turning down shows and uh, kind of less is more. And then right as I made that decision, COVID happened, and it was just kind of like everything felt like the house burned down. And so that was definitely the biggest challenge. And then uh, biggest triumph is just the fact that I'm making another record. Going to be working on a live record with uh, some awesome local musicians. And uh, I'm just happy to still be a working musician. That's the war it. of art, right? It's just <laughs> it to is, keep going. I like that war of art. I've never heard someone say that. I love that. Well, I can't take credit. There's an amazing book. You should read it. It's called The War of Art. And it changed my my perspective that's funny i have a copy of art of war in my car right now and i was like we'll take a little glance (laughs) at it but um i will definitely look that up it's true there's some real struggles of being an artist and choosing a creative life and that is in itself every day you continue to choose it is a victory even being an artistic type person has plenty of wars within the self absolutely absolutely I, i feel like we're all you know, painters, musicians, filmmakers, you have to be a certain level of insane, <laughs> you know? Or maybe it's actual sanity, perhaps. Oh, that's an interesting, interesting, I like that, yeah. You have to find some sanity to get away from the insanity of, of capitalism and oh, yeah. the daily nine-to-five grind. That's the, that's the goal, is to, you know, it's funny, you want to escape the nine-to-five and then you end up, you're working twice as much. As all the, all yeah, the you're people. working, you're working, <laughs> you're working twelve as, to twelve. Yeah, you're 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 staying up. You're making every Saturdays, Sundays. Yeah, yeah. I don't even remember the last time I had a day off. I think it was maybe December. What do you think that the Colorado scene needs more of right now, and what do you think that it's doing successfully for independent artists? Um, there does seem to be like Sonic Guild, and uh, there's a couple of I forget the names, but um, there's a seems to be a good amount of organizations that are dedicated to keeping local music going. Roots Music Project, uh, uh, I think it was founded by Dave Kennedy. That's a great place. Uh, there's Sonic Guild, I think Rocky Mountain. Uh, 101.5, the Colorado Sound is involved with, I think it's the Colorado Musicians Guild, something like that. We'll see if this cat stays away from the cords. Colorado is definitely a strong place. I'm not... I've never considered myself plugged into the scene for the reasons I stated before. I just, you know, always have something that I got to go handle. But it's a rich place for music. And um, I am, I would always, as a singer-songwriter, I'd always love to see more large venues offer people like me on my level the opportunity to open for bigger acts. It's... It seems kind of insane to me because this is there's such a wealth of talent in this state that at any given moment, any big act, national or regional or worldwide act, can find someone who's going to crush it as an opening act at Red Rocks or the Bluebird or whatever. And so I would like to see more large opportunities given to people like myself because I don't want to sound cocky, 
but when you're just a solo musician, people kind of look at you like, oh, here's another MF or with a guitar. And I've actually literally had people like at the Fox Theater come up to me afterwards and be like, dude, I see so many singer-songwriters. When you walked in here, we're all just kind of like, oh, another one of these dudes. And then all those people came up and bought my record and loved my set. And so I feel like if we were, I feel like some of those those golden ticket opportunities were handed out a little more often. I feel like it would help a lot of us that are, I don't know if down here or, you know, kind of above the starting level, but not made it to where we want to go. I feel like not only would the crowds get a big benefit in being exposed to a new talented artist, but then, you know, those people get lifted up, get more work, more consistent work, and then we can lift up the people that are still where we were several years ago. It's just a really rich, beautiful music scene for everything, for the most part. And I would like to see, yeah, more opportunities for musicians and maybe a little less cover bands. But, you know, my, that opinion isn't exactly uh, popular. Hard. It's hard. The cover band has has the draw, right? It's like people know what they're going to get. But there is a certain thing, I think, to people being exposed to artists that they don't know what they're going to get. And they don't know what they're going to get maybe emotionally, internally from that music. So it's great to have that. I think the cover band thing will die eventually. It's someday a, no Wait, no no Taylor offense Swift it's, cover band I don't oh know, that could definitely happen now, I could see I it I feel like the boomers love the cover bands the boomers no offense to you boomers but y'all complain that there's no good new music and I don't see you on Spotify checking out new music you know it's like we got an Eagles cover band coming up next week you know and then so you go to that but then there's all this awesome music around you so but um you're probably right there will probably be in 10 years I've made jokes about you know, if it looks like it's just absolute failure, I'm going to just buzz my head, start a Jack Johnson cover band and go rocket in Vegas for till I die. Just <laughs> I'll just start doing Jack Johnson covers, which is a, a strong suit of mine if I wanted to do it. And uh, I was like, I'll just be it'll be like the what was what's that clown one in Vegas? The um, circus circus. Oh, yeah. Just be like Lucas Wolf. <laughs> Jack Johnson cover band, and that that'll that'll be where I go to die as a musician. Like shares, if I have it's to. like a a forty year run on the strip. Right? Yeah. Hey, I mean, get the money. Hey, you know, if if it comes That's what to it that, takes. I hear there's good rock climbing outside of Vegas. So you know, I I've actually been stuck in Las Vegas. You want to hear a story? Please. So my mom, after I graduated, started hitchhiking between Coos Bay and Ruidoso, uh, Rio Doso, New Mexico. And then a while after is when I started my hitchhiking journey. And I'd been stuck in Vegas before. But one day I call my mom. My buddy uh, Crafty and I were stuck at the Blue Diamond truck stop. We'd been to every truck stop outside of Vegas. We couldn't get the hell out of Las Vegas to save our lives. Just sweaty, stinky, dirty, dusty. It was terrible. I call my mom. I'm like, Mom, we cannot get out of Vegas. And she goes, let me guess. You're stuck at the Blue Diamond truck stop. And I'm just like, holy shit. I'm like, yes, we are stuck. We just got kicked out of hanging out at the Blue Diamond truck stop. How did you know? She's like, everybody gets stuck at the Blue Diamond truck stop. And I just thought it was hilarious. That, uh, how did we get out? I think we event, oh, no, no. We had to call some gals that we uh, had met in Reno. And we were just like, ladies, we need a big favor. 
is there any way, which is funny because we were trying to get, we went from Reno to Vegas and we called up Sarah and Seda. Sarah and Seda. Seda wasn't a real name, but I, I can't remember her real name. Um, but yeah, they drove three and a half hours or whatever and uh, picked us up and uh, we drove back <laughs> to, to Reno where we'd kind of started that leg of the uh, trip. But we finally got out of there and then we caught a ride with a guy who had a Toyota Tacoma and a case of Dr. Pepper and uh, drove us all the way to Boulder, Colorado. So please tell me that there's a song about the blue diamond some somewhere or sometime you know, coming. So I actually did finally start writing a song that includes people that I met in my travels. And now that you say that, I'm absolutely going to throw some, some blue diamond in there. I met a guy in Las Vegas that I just put into a song and kind of told this story. He's this really, you know, I don't know if it's okay to say tweaker. He looked like a tweaker, you know, but, uh, you know, fun to talk to tweaker. Loved Axl Rose. I mean, talked about Axl Rose for a half hour. Then he says, hey, I want you to check something out. And I'm like, okay, what? And he flashes a bag at me. This bag looked like it had a really good lime green weed in it. And he's like, you want to smell it? So he kind of, you know, concealing the item opens the bag and lets me smell it. And I'm like, smells like some dank weed. Turns out this guy made a living, very good living, to support his meth habit and his hotel rooms and everything. He would soak phone books in a bathtub because the black ink, which is apparently actually a green ink, would run onto the yellow paper and then make like a lime green color. So he would break it up, put it into like little nugs, dry it out, put it in bags as if he's selling weed and he'd go out on the Las Vegas Strip, spray it with some kind of skunk pineapple spray and sell it to tourists for 50 to $100 a bag. And so he's one of the first people that, you know, it's been a long time since my hitchhiking days, but he's, he's one of the first that is in a song. And now the Blue Diamond Truck Stop will also be in that song. That's absolutely insane. It is I'm insane. shocked that he... Yeah. I, I mean, I hope he's okay, but I would I would oh, be very sure. surprised if some tourist didn't come back no, after pretty smoking sure. the phone book and be like, yeah. what the F is yeah, this? Yeah, I, I, you know, hopefully he didn't sell it to locals too much. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, it was definitely a shady thing. And I always wonder, I'm like, that guy had to have been killed. But the funny thing was, he then smoked real weed with me. And once again, cons- it was as if you, if you had to spend 24 hours with the guy, I bet you nine of those hours would be conversations about Axl Rose <laughs> and Guns N' Roses. That's fantastic. Wow. Yeah. Great stories. I can't yeah. wait. I mean, I can't wait to hear the songs. <laughs> that one that one will be maybe on the live record. Yeah. What advice do you have to artists who are just starting out? This is going to be an unpopular one. Make sure not your mom, your dad, not, you know, some of the people who want you to maybe live a more conventional life. But put your art out there and make sure that you are getting real feedback that encourages you to do what you're thinking about doing. Some people, it doesn't matter about the feedback. You just have to create. But make sure that you get at least you know several dozen, several hundred people to say this is what you should be pursuing. Um, I think that that's important because uh, I've definitely tried a couple things out in my life that didn't work out because I didn't really have the ability. 
And so, I mean, that's kind of a tough one, but make sure that it's not just like somebody who will lie to you. Make sure that it's like a stranger coming up off the street that's like, I really love this painting. Or, you know, people telling you to keep going. Because if no one's telling you to keep going, then that might be a red flag. But once you get past that hump, I think it's really drowning out the noise of everybody telling you that you should be doing something other than what you really feel alive doing. And then you have to, I think a lot of us musicians kind of want to be like, I don't want to work a job, you know, which is true. Jobs suck. I hate jobs. I hate jobs. But if I would have worked a job and put some of that money into my music the first five, six years, I'd be miles ahead of where I'm at. You know, a lot of us just really kind of suffer He's kind of a mixed bag, but I heard uh, I was scrolling on Instagram, and I think it's that Jordan Peterson guy. He said, uh, he was like, there is actually, you know, about 15, 20% of the population that are creators, and they have to be creating. Otherwise, they literally start to die inside. And I've tried to do full time jobs. I worked for a roofing company, Illegal Pete's, and within just a couple weeks, and, and, and actually, Illegal Pete's love you, that life started to literally just eat me alive from the inside out and I just started getting angry and bitter and and depressed and so you don't need to go get a full-time job necessarily as long as you're making a little bit of money with whatever you're creating but be willing to work if you want it that bad you're willing to work a small job and put some money into getting the equipment you need or being able to create the time and then from that point it's just literally don't go out with your friends one of the three nights say no you got to say no to a lot of things because while you're going out and having a good time not that you shouldn't be going out and having a good time other people are working towards what they want to do and so back to the competitive nature thing I guess when I really started out it was like if I go out to see some band I really don't even care about that much or to go to this event or that event I'm missing those five hours of creation. And so I kind of felt like every little thing I do was just like a rung on a ladder. It was like every minute, every hour, every couple hours, every day spent was creating. And then another rule is make sure you do something every single day towards your goal. And even if it's small, even it's just a Instagram post or posting a drawing you did or whatever, whatever your medium is, Make sure that you're, even if it's just one email about getting into a gallery or a venue, do something every single day because throughout 365 days, that'll add up. And if you do something every day, you're probably doing 50 to 75% more than the other person. And unfortunately, it's a grind and you got to be a grinder to get anywhere, you know. Great advice. Thank you so much for that. That's huge. Lucas, it's been fantastic talking to you. Everybody listening, please check out the record that's going to be coming out in the fall. Are you playing locally through the summer? Can people go to your, we'll put a link to your website and everything in the show notes so people can yeah. find you if they want um, to support. Right now, you know, we I took that time off to kind of uh, start working on the record, but we're booking more shows. I, I may be opening for Watch House um, in steamboat this year uh i'll be playing for the crowd collective in boulder colorado this year i'll be at the roots music project 
There's a lot of shows coming up, I think, and they're filling up quick. My calendar's on my website. Can I say that? Please. LucasWolfMusic.com. And then I post uh, usually a couple weeks to a month before every show on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, And I'm on, you know, YouTube, Spotify, and all that. But, um, yeah, the goal is to uh, start quality over quantity at this point with shows. Spend a lot of times playing underneath, you know, a Rockies game or... Or in situations where you're kind of like, why am I even here? But you got to do those gigs. Otherwise, you won't get the other gigs, you know. Well, thank you so much for your time. And have a great rest of your weekend. You too. Thank you very much. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Sonic Guild Colorado podcast. Check out the links in our show notes to experience Lucas Wolf's music and to become a member of Sonic Guild Colorado.